Hey, this is Kevin O'Connor. On today's episode of The Mismatch, Chris Vernon and I had a very, very special guest. We brought on Zach Lowe from ESPN to talk about a whole bunch of topics, including his own life and how he got into sports media. And then, of course, we did talk basketball, too, about the Utah Jazz being the best team in the NBA right now. And a bunch of other topics, too, like Joel Embiid, his chance to be MVP, Zach Levine, and whether he should be an all-star, and a whole bunch more. All that's coming up next. It's the mismatch presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states or 18 plus in D.C. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by USAA Homeowners Insurance. USAA has homeowners insurance that could lead the league in assists. Serving our military veterans and their eligible family members, USAA delivers award-winning service and peace of mind. And if you file a claim, the process is transparent and easy, and you can do it all right in the USAA app. Tap the banner or visit usaa.com slash homeowners to learn more and get a quote. Restrictions apply. Welcome to The Mismatch. I'm Chris Varnan. Joining me as he does every Friday from the ringer.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, Kevin O'Concert, Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin O'Camera, Kevin O'Kindness. Kevin! We got a guest! We have a very special guest. He is the host of the critically acclaimed Low Post podcast. You also see him on ESPN. You will see him on SportsCenter later today. He is the great Zach Lowe. Thanks for coming on, Zach. My pleasure, guys. How are you all doing? Great. Doing, doing great. So before we get to anything, we are going to make you intensely uncomfortable, and that is talking about yourself. Oh, um, God. Yep. Here we go. Get it so over with, then. <laughs> we get a lot of questions, as I'm sure you do also, about how how do I get into this? And are so many times our advice can ring hollow because the world has changed so greatly over the last you know 10 to 20 years. You have an odd path yourself into becoming Zach Lowe. So if we can't, we'll just start at college. Okay. You realize I'm old. So that means you're starting 20, (laughs) like five years ago. Almost understood. College Zach Lowe is going to do what? Sports journalism. That's what college Zach Lowe is going to do. And college me did not realize what journalism was. I just thought like, if you were smart, they just put you on the sports reporters and you like got to pontificate <laughs> about sports. Like that's what I thought journalism was. I had no idea until I dipped my toe into it that journalism was like talking to strangers, having really uncomfortable conversations with people who don't want to talk to you, getting doors slammed in your face, getting hung up on sometimes. And I was like, I was a really shy college kid. And I just was like, 
okay, this isn't, turns out this isn't for me. I was totally wrong about what this whole industry is. And then I just basically forgot about it. And I became a high school teacher and I would then went to get uh, my PhD with an idea that I'd either become a professor or go back to teaching high school, just smarter. Um, and meanwhile, just get to hang out on a college campus as a grown man for a few years. <laughs> and then I got the itch to try again when I was in my mid twenties. Yeah. But from like, so this is what I always wanted to do. And I chickened out because I just wasn't socially ready for it when I got to college. And like, I never had an internship. I never, I did everything that you're not, I did everything wrong. And then I did other stuff for a while. So why did you, why in the mid twenties did you say, did you not like teaching? Were you not fulfilled with what you were doing at the time? Like what, what made you want to try it then? I can tell you exactly the moment when I was like, I need to give this another shot. I was at the University of Maryland. And I actually think it was the week or weekend that they were in the final four with like Juan Dixon and Lonnie Baxter and that team. (laughs) And I had to go to the University of Maryland because they had a special archive of documents from the 19th century that I needed to read and go through for my thesis. And so the archive was like in this closet, basically, with a desk and a chair and no windows. And it was just like boxes of documents that had been refurbished from the 19th century. You could barely read them like handwritten diaries. And for two days, I just sat in there going through them. And like, this is what the work of being a historian is. You just go through these documents and one out of every 500 will actually be useful, but you have to go all through all 500 in a windowless closet. And I just had this moment where I was like, this sucks. This just isn't for me. Like I'm bored. I haven't seen another human being in a long time. Um, And I just thought of like, well, I've been a a, a grad student for two years. What books do I like to read the most? Well, I like to read the most about recent history. Well, why is that? Well, because the participants are alive and the authors go get to interview them about their recollections. And I thought, well, that's kind of like journalism. And, you know, maybe that is a way that I could use all these skills, but write about something I actually care about and write things that people will actually read. And so basically right then and there, I was like, I'm trying this. I'm trying And I ended up covering because there was a little newspaper, three day a week newspaper. I have no idea if it even exists anymore in Williamsburg, Virginia. And I basically begged them, like, let me cover high school, anything for free. Let me cover high school football, high school track, whatever you want. And I I covered some high school football games. I was like, okay, I kind of like this. Career transitions for a lot of people are a scary thing. And that's one of the emails I get a lot of somebody who might be just out of school like you were, you know, at the time or in grad school. And they're like, I'm not sure I actually want to be doing this. When you made that shift, Zach, was that something that you decided on your own in that moment? Or were you having conversation with like close friends, close family, like to kind of advise you on how to make a big jump like that? No, I was... I'm I'm still kind of not good at having difficult life conversations with other people. And so I just sort of was like, I'm doing it. And I took out student loans and I went to grad school for journalism, which is what it is. Um, and I told, I basically told my parents and I was waiting for them to be like, this is a terrible idea. You're 25, <laughs> 26. You have no clue what you're doing at all. And they were basically like, Go ahead, give it a shot if you want. Like I was going to move to New York. I hated New York. I hated big cities. I thought you would like step out of your door and get shot. Like it was a whole <laughs> big adventure I was going to have. And 
they were okay with it. But no, I just sort of decided I'm going to try this. And if I fail or I'll just wander the world for a couple of years and then I'll try to go back to teaching or something. I don't know. So where I first found out about you was the point forward when you were working for SI, right? Rest in uh, peace. Now you were, it was Celtics blog or it was a Celtic, it Celtics was a, hub.com. Yeah. The, Celtics true hub. Hoop, the true hoop network. Okay. So Celtics hub is where you start getting like real exposure. Like people yeah. now are reading you at, in a way that they have not before. Shout and that, out to Hen- shout out to Henry Abbott and Kevin Arnovitz who, who, noticed me blogging for a, a WordPress site on my own and like read the links that I just <laughs> begged them to read and were like, this That's guy might crazy. not be terrible. So then at that point, SI is reading that, like they're seeing the True Hoop links and that's how they find you? So the how they found me, I was working at a magazine called American Lawyer covering law firms and legal news and litigation. Holy and, mackerel, American <laughs> Lawyer. One of my best sources, <laughs> one of my best sources was a legal recruiter, basically a headhunter for and they know they know all the gossip, so they were good people to get to know. And we were having a drink one day and it, we were talking about this side hustle that I was developing at nights and he said, "Hey, I happen to know a buddy of mine is like an editor at Sports Illustrated. And I'm pretty sure he does NBA stuff. Would, would you want to meet him? And I was like, yeah, of course. I'd be. And that guy was like Brad Weinstein, who now works for the NBA, was like, um, we're thinking about starting a blog. This is like 2010, maybe 2009, like a blog wow. for Sports Illustrated. This was a, a radical innovation for SI. Would you be interested in maybe throwing your hat in the ring for that? And I said, yeah, sure. I got nothing to lose. And they ended up hiring me and... Now I do this for a job. Is that when it became full-time SI? Yeah, it became full-time SI, and I tell people all the time, it became full-time before the 2010-11 season, the year the Mavericks won the championship. is the first year I did this full-time, and I got hired that summer. Not a coincidence. Lots of people my age got hired after July 2010 because the decision when LeBron went to Miami was such an earthquake of news that every outlet covering the NBA basically concluded we do not have enough people covering this league. We need more people. This this was it, it, the 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 level of coverage and mania over that. I think caught a lot of publications by surprise. One thing I've also always wondered is, and they, 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 I don't know if you've ever broached this, been asked about this. You then move on and you're with Bill at Grantland, right? And this Grantland thing is like a wave, right? There's so many guys that have come out of that, right? As when Grantland ceases to exist, are you nervous then? Are you, what am I going to do? Am I, am I like, did, did you already know you had established yourself and so you would be okay no matter what? So I was pretty confident and the confidence was, was part I earned in part ignorance. Like I had just no conception of how anything at ESPN worked. We were this little island that, I mean, I was like an island on an island because Grantland was an island in Los Angeles and I was in New York. So I was just privy to nothing. I had no idea how the relationship between Bill and ESPN worked. I had no idea how the relationship between our NBA coverage and their NBA coverage worked. I had no idea if there was any tension. I had no idea who the people were. I was completely clueless. So I had no idea if there was going to be any sort of like, oh, those guys are outsiders. Should we even want them? And I was confident that if they keep anything, it's going to be the core sports people. So me, Barnwell, the baseball people, like I was pretty Mm -hmm. confident that I felt worried for the entertainment people, 
uh, because they're my friends and I just thought it just doesn't seem like a thing that's going to live at ESPN. But I, I was, I was for someone who's insecure and neurotic, I was strangely like calm, I'll be okay, calm. And, and I think even my wife was surprised, like, you're not freaking out. I was like, I, I, I guess not. It's feels like uneasy, but I'm a little bit calm. Wow. I, I will tell you that the last guy that asked me about, he was a kid from Massachusetts and he said, uh, he said, so what should I do? And I said, look, I don't have a lot of great advice. I say, I would call up the blogs. I say, because Kevin O'Connor started at a Celtics place writing about <laughs> the Celtics and Zach Lowe started writing for a blog about the Celtics. Well, no, that, I think that's the right advice. So I had yeah. a friend of a friend of a friend whose son is asking this question and they said, could he call you? I said, sure, you can call me. He's a big Wizards fan. He said, what can I do? I have no experience. I have no anything. I think I can write. I think I know the game decently. And I said, go to bulletsforever.com. Read every single thing they do on the Wizards and write stuff that's not there. Find anything that's not there. Find one statistical nugget. Find one quirk about the team. Find something that no one on that site has read before. Write it. Beg them to publish it. I mean, it sucks because you have to have the resources to be able to either have a side like this has to be your side hustle and it's going to be really hard and it's not fair. And there's a whole lot of socioeconomic issues involved in your ability to have a side hustle that pays you nothing. It's it's just it sucks and it's not cool. But um, I basically just tell people if you write something that hardcore fans of a team, it doesn't matter how nerdy you think it is, how just it's like about Ish Smith or something, if it's good and interesting and people haven't read it before and you do that two or three times in a row bullets forever is going to be like all right this dude's bringing something to the table and then like it just snowballs from there but the key is like give it's really hard but give them something they don't know and and you get somewhere from there it's exactly what you did right kev yeah i mean it's a type of thing where it's it's multiple factors it's like you talked about you know somebody who knows somebody and like sometimes it's about bumping into somebody at a conference or knowing somebody these random strings of events where you you know kind of just keep moving up um but it's also finding a, your own lane and carving that out and doing something that you aren't seeing others doing and i i think that example that you gave to him is perfect it's the truth like he should go to that site and read everything he can because that's sort of what i tried to do when i started at celtics blog you know back in 2013 i remember i was doing my internship at comcast sports set in new england and i didn't know what i was going to do afterwards i was so naive and i thought oh you know this internship that doesn't pay me anything maybe they'll hire interns afterwards they don't and um my friend andy who used to work there said well you should apply to write for celtics blog and i was like celtics blog I was very much unlike you, Zach. I, 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 I didn't go to college thinking about being in sports journalism. And I thought like Celtics blog was a bunch of, you know, paid full-time writers. <laughs> I read that <laughs> since I was like 14, 15 years old, which is so silly in hindsight. But um, yeah, I, I just, I emailed Jeff Clark and sent in my application SB Nation. And I feel like that's, you know, for no matter your age, if you're a high school kid or a college kid, those SB Nation blog sites... Those are big time. Or like I had Nikias Duncan, who does great stuff at basketballnews.com. He used to start writing on Facebook, Facebook NBA groups years wow. back. And now he's doing stuff for websites. And, you know, it, it's all about carving out, you know, an area in this league where someone's not doing something already. Let's get to this NBA season. Zach, I heard you talking Thank about God. this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, if you want to talk more about your personal life, you can. Um, <laughs> there are many more questions, Zach. <laughs> I, I heard you talk about this a couple of weeks ago uh, on your pod, and you were saying that you had not 
yet been to an arena. You had not been to. Is, is, does that still stand true? Still not, true. Still true. And now we got fans coming back to lots of arenas yeah. in, in New York. Mm. It's it's like that makes me almost less want want to go to a <laughs> game less. And in an all star game somehow too. <laughs> well, and as someone, I have been going to a bunch of games because I have to. But like you can't you can't talk to anybody. You can't even get near. I can't. How about this? I can't even go in the lower bowl. Yeah. Wow. No. That from what I've been told, you get you get ushered in at the yep. at whatever. You have a specific entrance, and there's it's upstairs. Be, and there's going to be team. Yeah, the team people are going to. Someone's going to usher you to your seat, and you just sit in your media section. And there's a bathroom for you and all this, but like you're not going anywhere else. Yep. Even getting to your seats, there's a pathway for you, right? Yep. So if we can, just the, you know, this is your life. If you could speak to. The challenges of doing your job well this season, right? And how hard it has been in order to attain information and to glean what you would normally glean about the way the NBA is being played. So it doesn't feel that hard, but there's an element of like, you don't know what you're missing because you're missing it. So like I have, I can watch all the games, obviously, you know, I don't go to games to watch them. Right. I mean, I do. You see different things at the arena than you would, you know, on on TV or whatever. But I can watch the games and I know enough people. I can text people on every team. I can call people on every team and blah, blah. So you feel like I feel like I'm getting the information flow I need. But that's because I've I've already forgotten how much you get just by getting to the game three hours early and schmoozing. Simmons used to always make fun of what a schmoozer I am. I just go and schmooze. I hang out and talk to people. And not really even how much information you get, but some of that, but like you get to know new people, right? Like my network is not expanding as fast as it would otherwise. You get to know new people. You just get, and your bonds are, I I don't feel as if my relationships with people that I have relationships with already are withering but I also feel like they're not deepening because it, there's just nothing that you can, there's nothing that replaces the in-person chit chat, the beer after a game, the no, dinner, no. the lunch before there's nothing that replicates that no matter how great tech, like even zoom, it's yeah. not the same. Um, so it's, it's, it feels fine and I can do this and I don't feel like I'm missing anything, but there's definitely something I'm missing. I'm right there with you, Zach. No doubt about that. I, I think, you know, whether it's, job related or life related, I have a deep desire just to deepen those relationships. And you can't do that through Zoom and text and phone as well as you can in person. And like you said, those three hours before the game when the arena is empty and fans are starting to trickle in, that's the best time just to meet somebody new, right? And yeah, it's also I, when I, people I will actually talk to you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like everybody's just sitting around, the guys are warming up and people will just talk, right? They talk like you're not in a you know, standard media setting. Well, and that's what I've, I've told people since I got hired at Grandland, the luckiest thing about that job. And I'm lucky that it's carried over is I didn't have to be person number 45 in the Steph Curry scrum, you know, Mm. or the Steve Kerr scrum before the game. I mean, that's useful. And if I need to ask a question, I'll go there, but instead I can hang out and talk to the assistant coaches who are, you know, sitting there waiting to warm up players. I can talk to the agents who are sitting there just hanging out and like that, that is not every job is there are a lot of jobs that are dependent on having your phone in Steve Kerr's face and and mine wasn't. And that was really, really lucky. And I think smart of Bill to realize we're going to em- empower people to do this job in a different way, even if the payoff is longer to come 
than it is in the instant payoff of like, hey, Steve Kerr just said this, blah, blah, blah. Kevin talks about uh, this to me, and I'm wondering how you feel about it. There are, we know that like there's, there's Woj, there's Shams. People have alerts on their phones for these guys, like to see what is going on in the NBA. In terms of breaking news, do you feel pressure to break news? Or do you look at it and say, you know, that's not my thing. Like, I don't, I don't have to do that, right? Like the news is going to get out. And because there's become these like two <laughs> preeminent guys that cover our sport that, you know, it's like a race between them. And then the rest of everybody else kind of gets this, gets that, gets this, gets that here and there. I don't feel pressure, but it is nice to do every once in a while to remind the powers that be like, oh, he's also bringing this to the table. And we collaborate a lot at ESPN. Right. You know, so all we feed each other stuff. You know, Windhorse, Windhorse called me last night on a story saying, hey, can you check on this? Like we, we help each other a lot, even though even if our names don't end up attached to something. But, you know, and Kevin has done a really good job of this throughout his career. Like there's news that happens and then there's news that might happen or behind the scenes chatter. And if you can nail that down and it's credible, that's news too, right? And so like you can get some of that that is more my domain than some of the other people's domain. So there's the, it's always nice to do, but yeah, it's not the driving force of my job. And, um, and I, don't t- I don't feel an enormous amount of pressure to, to do more of it. The team that has surprised you the most in a good way, the team that has surprised you the most in a bad way. I will let you pull up the standings. Yeah, you know what? You could tell immediately <laughs> what I was going for. Uh, in a, I'll start positive because I, I like to be a positive person. Um, in a good way, the team that has surprised me the most Honestly, like, I think it might be Utah as obvious as an answer to that. Like, I thought Utah was going to be really good. They were in my inner circle of contenders last season. So I was a year early. But to be 20 and five with a plus nine point differential, I didn't quite see that level coming from them. So that's one. And I'm trying to look at the look at the sort of mid-tier teams and see if there's any. I mean, the Spurs being 14 and 11 is mildly surprising. I think they're punching above their weight a little bit. Um I guess the Knicks even. I mean, the, the Knicks, Knicks being definitely. decent would, yeah. would be one of them. Um, and negatively, I mean, it's hard to be too negative on these teams that have just been ravaged by the virus and the health and safety protocols. Uh, and in Minnesota's case, not having their best player for that reason and others for, for most of the year. Um, I guess I would say Toronto at 12 and 14 is kind of eh. And... Denver's been a little too up and down for my taste at 13 and 11, but I, it's hard to the teams that yeah. are really toward the bottom. There's only a few of them and the mitigating circumstances are so obvious. Like even Orlando, Orlando has half a team at this point, you know, for them to be nine and 17 is, is not. So oh there are my that God, ma- what was that? There, the way, it, Kevin, you're on that text that Rosillo sent last night where he, Ryan Rosillo was happening to be watching that game when it started, the Orlando game, and he took a picture of the screen, and it said, tonight's starters, Frank Mason III, Dwayne Bacon, James Ennis, Gary Clark, Nikola Vucevic. And I texted, I said, is that real? And then Frank Mason got hurt immediately. <laughs> oh, There's no point cards left. I mean, what the hell? <laughs> that is not like that. Vucevic is literally the only guy that would be in that lineup. 
under like normal yeah. circumstances. It's possible all of those guys are out of your rotation other than Vucevic yes. if your team is healthy. Like not even they're coming off the bench, they're just not playing at all. Um and so you feel for Orlando cuz it's just a, it's a wasted season for them. And not wasted cuz they'll get some internal de- like Cole Anthony got a chance to play before mm-hmm. you got hurt, but it's like, like Zach they got to give Mo Bamba internal development. I know you took things this morning. Here we go. Hold, got, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hey, hey listen. Yes. <laughs> oh, did, no, 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 no. I'm going to read this right now. Oh, I've been wait Oh, I've been waiting for this so much. All right, here we go. Number 3 in Zach Lowe's article today uh on his 10 things which are actually 11 today. 11 today. I was in a good mood. Mm-hmm. There will be no Kim Birch slander here. Nope. I nope. have heard clamoring for Mo Bamba to take Birch's minutes, even insinuations that Birch's mere presence on the court is evidence of organizational dysfunction. And I am here to say I will accept no Kim Birch slander. Now, this is so specific. <laughs> There is only one man that you could have possibly heard such slander from. Now, I will. I'm going to be fair. I knew this was coming. I told him. I told him, Kevin. I would give him 25 bucks if he put Kevin O'Hater in his. First of all, first of all, it was was 20. It was 20. Don't don't inflate your offer. It was 20, 20, and I don't come that cheap. Okay, 20 bucks if he put Kevin O'Hater in the. I love Kim Burt. So I think I think I, I would be perfectly willing to do that because I'm a I'm just too nice to just go right at Kevin. But B, it's so obviously jokey that I'm not, I'm not really going at Kevin at all. But I don't think I could get Kevin O'Hater. We don't have the same sense of humor at ESPN as, as people do at the Ringer. I don't think I could get Kevin O'Hater past, past the copy editors and the editorial staff. It should have been Kevin O... Uh, well, maybe Kevin O'Kem Hater. Maybe you could have gotten that one in, right? Oh, and my gosh. Look, I just won't accept the Ken Birch slander. Okay? I won't you know? accept it. Now, you can be curious about Mo Bamba. I'm curious about Mo Bamba. I'd like to see him play. But I will not accept any slander hey. about Ken Birch, a great Canadian... Okay, and (laughs) who just plays hard. All he wants to do is set screens, get teammates open, play hard on defense. And Kevin O'Hader goes on there on the ringer, basically saying, I don't want to see Ken Birch anymore. Get him out. He stinks. Not only does he not want to see him, nobody wants to see him. I want to see Ken Birch. (laughs) Ken Birch's family. Ken Birch has a family. I I would go a step further. A whole... A whole nation wants to oh. see Ken Birch. <gasps> he look, Canada's got enough guys. I, I thought you rode for like Croatia. Now you ride for Canada. I, I want to see Ken Birch, but n- not as like the fifth or sixth best player. Steve Clifford's own words on the Orlando Magic ahead of a player they drafted with the number six pick. That's why I like with the Magic. Ken Birch. I love Ken Birch. We saw no, two you guys. Don't. And, no, don't no, he doesn't. I, I you, love don't. You, don't, you don't love Ken Birch. I don't love Ken Birch in Orlando. I want Ken Birch somewhere else where he can play and compete and contribute to winning. We saw two guys in that game last night with the Warriors and Magic. Juan Toscano Anderson on the Warriors. I love Juan Toscano Anderson. Uh, Are you going to slander him now? Definitely not. (laughs) And Ken Birch, guys who hustle, who sacrifice, who do the little things to contribute towards their team. I actually had a debate about, I actually, someone I know on the Warriors, when they sent I just call him JTA. I don't know if anybody calls him that, but I call him JTA. When they sent JTA to the G League at the start of the season, I texted someone who works for the Warriors jokingly. I was like, 
I am going to hammer you guys if we don't see Juan Toscana Anderson with the real team this year. I'm going to hammer you just relent because I have a soft spot for him too. So be careful. Now, look, Zach, you know, uh, once upon a time, I had a side hustle where I was hawking t-shirts. So I've got my bona fides in the t-shirt game. How there is not there. Do you remember the the press conference a couple of weeks ago where Draymond just demolished uh, poor Rodney Magruder, right? There was a line in that, and I, I would I would encourage any Warriors fan that is out there, make these t-shirts. I will buy it if you make them, okay? Where Draymond said, I'm rocking with Juan T. And <laughs> if there is oh. not a I'm rocking with Juan T t-shirt, they have failed. They have well, you failed. See, you saw, did you see Steph's uh, t- Twitter last night? Oh, what did yeah. he say? Bleacher Report. Uh, Steph made one of his ridiculous threes, and Juan Toscano Anderson did the thing where he's signaling it's good while the shot's in midair, which is always a cool <laughs> NBA moment. And Bleacher Report tweets, even Steph's teammate knew that shot was going in. And Juan Toscano Anderson tweeted above Bleacher Report, retweeted Bleacher Report, or quote tweeted, whatever the whatever the right term is, yeah. and said, hi, I'm Steph team, Steph's teammate. My name's Juan. I'm Juan. <laughs> <laughs> My name and is Ste- Juan. And then Steph retweeted him. Yeah. I was like, you tell him, Juan T. I like that. <laughs> he's a good player. He is. And he's one of those guys that contributes to winning with his effort and his brain and just a little, this, the cutting off uh, uh, when he's off ball. He knows how to play in that warrior system. And that was their struggle early on for Steve Kerr. Like to your point about you would have blasted them if they didn't give him minutes with the big leagues. They couldn't, they had a hard time with some of their plays adjusting with all that motion for JTA. Not, not even a little bit of a problem. I love that dude. He's so fun. It's good to play off of this. All right. So we got this odd Ken Birch argument. No one has ever ridden for Ken Birch like Zach Lowe just did. Um, and then in the course of that, you mentioned Juan T, right? Who, do you have anybody else that's like, you know, under the radar, people don't ever talk about, but you just have a fascination with outside of Birch, Toscano? Are there other guys like that in the league that you feel like the Zach Lowe love is greater than the general love that said player gets? I mean, there are a lot of guys, right? But some of them become obvious. So I've been a Rashawn Holmes guy for a yes. long time. And now, but <laughs> yes. now the, the cat, the cat's out of the back, right? Like everyone yep. knows Rashawn Holmes is good and his push shot is like right, one Chris, of the signature you know shots now. of the oh, yeah. boy. <laughs> look, look, that, 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 Zach, you're, you're touching a nerve here because in our first year, years ago, he brought up Rashawn Holmes. I said, who the hell are you talking about? And then all these Sixers fans just murdered me. You cover the NBA. I said, they won 10 freaking games like I didn't see a guy play at the end of the I don't know who this guy is right I don't know who Rashawn. and so then every single thing that Rashawn Holmes has done over the course of his five-year whatever six-year <laughs> career I hear about still to this day Rashawn Holmes is a thing so thanks for bringing that up again uh, <laughs> I have others I'm trying I'm trying to think of them because I don't I don't want to do obvious ones I mean there are definitely guys that I just have a random soft spot for for almost almost no reason at all, but I'm I'm kind of coming up with a blank under pressure here. Um, so I was I was gonna, a guy that I'm tracking now just for fun. I don't even know if I have a soft spot for him. For him is Terrence Mann because oh, yeah. for oh. I was going to write a ten things piece on how 
Terrence Mann has the worst job in the entire NBA, but now he's playing because they have had injuries. So for a while, Terrence Mann's only job was come in for the last defensive possession of a quarter and play like six <laughs> seconds of defense and then never play again. And then there was a game that I think it was against the Kings where he did that and they got a turnover and he had the ball in position where all he could do was take a half court heave. And because he's not a star, he actually took the half court heave before the buzzer instead of doing the bogus thing where people wait for the buzzer to sound. So I'm like, all Terrence Mann's job is, is to come play defense for eight seconds and go 0 for 1 from the floor. <laughs> so worst job in the NBA. But now, he, but now he's been playing since then. So I'm developing a Terrence Mann soft spot. I have no idea if he's good. But your Grizzlies are, fi- are filled with like little, yeah. little dudes. Like the Desmond Baines of yes. uh, Xavier Tillmans of the world, you know? The entire Grizzlies roster. Brandon Clark, too. Yeah. Unfortunately, all those guys you named have had to start this year. Which Desmond is not, Bain is always doing helpful stuff on the floor. A little turnover prone, but he's a he's a helpful player. I think Desmond Bain will figure out the turnovers over time too. In, in college, he he was really a, a smart decision maker, spectacular passer, really. But uh, and it wasn't it wasn't that. bad until he got to start, and it was just the speed. Yeah. You know, these guys have to get used to how much faster, and especially the difference even between going up against starters and going up against bench guys because it's just a different deal. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Offer valid for new and eligible returning subscribers only. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by USAA Insurance. USAA is insurance that could lead the league in assist. That's because bundling auto with home or renter's insurance saves you money. USAA understands the needs of our military, veterans, and their eligible family members. And they've got great rates and insurance options to meet them. See how much you can save. Tap the banner to learn more and get a quote at usaa.com slash bundle. Restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. And in fact, that's good to parlay that into the conversation you had with Arnovitz on your latest episode, uh, Zach, um, where you guys had that kind of conversation in regards to Tobias Harris, right? About Tobias Harris. And it's been a nice role with him being able to, you know, in the, in, in the absence of playing with uh, Simmons and Embiid, because they want to keep those guys together, Tobias, many cases, can get to go against the backups and just murder everybody, right? Um, and that is, and so one of the things you guys talked about was the value of that. I was kind of surprised that you couldn't, I think there will be a thing if, if Philly, who has had a very good season and is number one in the East only gets one all-star, but I thought you guys did make a somewhat persuasive argument that that may very well be the case. It's just, you only get 12 spots and they're both Tobias and Ben are both in contention for him, Ben Simmons in the last two weeks, there was a Celtics game maybe two and a half weeks ago where he was invisible for three quarters. And then in the fourth quarter went crazy and had like 12 points and two steals. And since that game, 
He's been playing more aggressively at another good game last night in Portland that they lost. Uh, so I, I think I might actually pick him over Tobias Harris just because if you ask me point blank, who's better? I think Ben Simmons is better, but Tobias is having a great season. But, you know, the East, it's just it's just tough, man. There are a lot of candidates and like Tobias Harris's stats are good, but they're not like blow away good. I mean, the reason that team is whatever their record is, is because Joel Embiid might be the MVP. I mean, he's been ridiculous. Zach, in your 10 years, you know, started in 2010, you said covering the league. Do you feel like, you know, for all-star, and obviously you said on the pod with Kevin that you're not stressed out about this. We, you know, as voters, we only do the starters, and that's it. We don't have to do the reserves. That's coaches. But, you know, when it comes to looking ahead to All-NBA, there's 15 spots. I mean, I feel like this year's, the, the league is so loaded right now with some top-end talent, and, you know, there's going to be guys who miss out on those spots that are very deserving, uh, and maybe in past years they might have made it, but the league just feels so loaded right now with deserving All-Stars and deserving All-NBA candidates. It's really hard. Those all NBA. I've I've thought about giving up my ballot because I just don't like the, because we have, the all NBA brings the awkward thing of like salaries are somewhat dependent yeah. on people getting picked yep. to all NBA teams, which is, just puts us in a position that isn't isn't super comfortable. Yeah, I mean, you know, and you always run into the thing where the angry fans are like, "Well, how could you not have this guy? And how could you not have that guy?" I'm like, oh, "There's only, I can't. Who are you taking off? Like, I just it's right. like it it and you get down to the last couple of spots, and it's all these guys are awesome." How am I really supposed to definitively say that this guy was better than that guy? And this is going to be an even weirder season because guys are going to miss time for reasons that we've never had people miss time for. And teams are going to be decimated. Like, what do you even make of the Houston Rockets? They've been like five different teams in 20 games. I have no idea what they are. How do I evaluate Christian Wood or Victor Oladipo or, you know, guys like that? It's hard. Yeah, I think we were both surprised that when you were listing off your locks, Kyrie really went out without a discussion. You know what I mean? mean and yeah. and he, I know, but I mean, it's just been, bro, can you create more, like, just news for one guy than he has created? I know his numbers are crazy, right? But that team has not been off the charts, and he just didn't show up. For Like, it's different. Like, some of these guys are injured, or they've been out for coronavirus or whatever. He just didn't play for X number of games. I think seven games, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's a little strange. Do we know Do we know the reason really yet? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that there was a good reason for it, but I don't feel like it's been articulated. Um, but he's, I mean, you look at his number seven, like 28 a game on 53, 41. It's ridiculous. And his clutch shooting has been really good. I mean, it's just, it's hard to mount an argument that he shouldn't be in the All-Star game as a lock. I think... I'm having a hard time with that second guard spot. I mean, for the West, it's easy. I have Steph, Lillard, LeBron, Jokic, Kawhi as my starters. In the East, in no the front Luka. court. No Luka. Luka. I have Luka coming on. I mean, I'll have him as the sixth, you know, but obviously won't get the vote. And then in the East, have Embiid, KD, Giannis as the three front court starters. And then in, as guard, I have Jalen Brown, two-way player. He's been excellent. It's that second spot where, you know, Bradley Beal, Zach Levine, Kyrie Irving, Trey Young, James Harden. There's a lot of guys. A Middleton forward, it's worth can't be a guard. He's listed as a forward, so you can't use him. And same with Tatum. But, you know, with Bradley Beal, I believe you had him locked in as a starter, and he'll likely be my choice. But I'm trying to play devil's advocate with myself here. And one of the guys you didn't talk about a whole lot with Kevin was Zach Levine. This season, averaging 28, 5 and 5 with a 65% true shooting percentage. He's just been outrageous on the offensive end. And Levine, 
He's been somebody I've ripped a lot on this pod with you, Chris, over the years for his horrific defense at times, for his, you know, underwhelming playmaking. And I look at him and the way he's developed as a player, it's like, well, at least he's given and given some effort on defense. You mentioned on the pod, he talks about wanting to be a good defender. I feel like I'm seeing effort from him more than four, even though it's not reflected in the advanced numbers and his playmaking has definitely gotten better. And I, I look at Levine a lot like Beal last year when Beal got barely any votes. He He's seventh in, in total votes this year because he's in the news all the time and everybody's talking about him. And obviously he's been fantastic. 33 points per game. He's he's an amazing player. But I feel like Levine is sort of being a bit overlooked here with the season he's having this development. I guess I'm wondering, like, what is the differentiator when I, you know this year for you with Beal and Levine, and also uh, like what have you seen from Levine with his development? I mean, Beal is just a better a better player, and you know when you're averaging 33 a game or whatever, you, you just kind of have to be you have to be in the <laughs> the, the All Star game. <laughs> And he's he's a better ball handler. He's a better passer, I think. With Levine, I mean, you're, the, his shooting numbers are crazy. He's averaging 28 a game, and he's always a threat. Like we saw the other night, who are they playing? The Pelicans. He had 25 in the first quarter, I think. I mean, he's going to yeah. have he's going to win you a game here and there with just one quarter of ridiculous shooting. I, I think he's a borderline All Star. To be honest with you, I have 10 guys in front of him: Kyrie, Beal, Embiid, Durant, Giannis. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Chris Middleton, Trey Young, and Bam Adebayo. I mean, if you ask me just point blank, who do you trust in a Game 7 of a playoff series, Bam Adebayo or Zach Levine? Maybe it's because I've seen it. Maybe it's just that simple. I trust Bam. I know what I'm getting out of Bam. And Zach is really, really good. I do think his defense is super damaging. Like, And, and I don't think it's because he doesn't try. I just think he's he just... I, I, there's something about the way he processes the game on that end yeah. of the floor that doesn't really translate. And the Bulls are always better when he's on the bench every single year. The Bulls are better when he's on the bench every single year. I think that stat is not always useful and very noisy. And I might put him in the all-star game this year, but the, and and I, we made the comparison on the pod yesterday. I can hear the Chicago fans. Well, why Trey young and not Zach Levine? They're both offense only players. The difference is Trey young averages 10 assists a game. and is just a way, way better playmaker than Zach Levine, sure. who has a one-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio basically every year. But see, he's really good. I mean, I, these yeah. are hard choices. Yeah, I think with Chicago, they probably internally will have the same type of discussions just in regards to how they build out this roster because they have this you know big mix of you know some younger, talented players that don't necessarily fit together. White and Levine in the back backcourt. You had White, I believe, in your 10 things today. I'm not sure that's going to be something that they can build with long-term. All these guys in the front court, marketing. Oh, you drafted Patrick Williams, Wendell Carter. I have a lot of the young talent. So with Levine, do you do you feel like he's somebody that could fit in a winning, contending context? Like, what is the best situation for Zach Levine to be maximized to be a winning player? Or do you think the defensive, you know, issues that he has, like, just will always hold him back in that regard? I think he needs to be surrounded by good defensive players. I, I just think. Because it's interesting to think about Portland, right? Because you mentioned White and Levine. Well, Portland's been able to get by, not always on defense, but get by as a franchise with Dame and CJ. And I think the difference is like a lot of they're they're not great defensive players, but they're usually in the right place. And and I think that's where Levine's errors can be so crippling because he's often just not in the right place or he's back cut. Like the whole system breaks down. Yeah. And and I don't think Dame and CJ make mistakes like that. So I do think he needs to be surrounded by guys who can cover with it. Like it's tempting to think of, to imagine what he looks like in Denver 
playing off of Jokic as a second or third option and just back cutting for dunks and hitting open <laughs> threes and not having the responsibility to create for others so much. But then you're like, well, Denver doesn't really have the defensive infrastructure to incorporate him and really be okay on that end. Like Then you start thinking about, imagine if he played in Miami somehow, if you can get him into Miami with Bam and Butler and he's he's doing all those same things on offense, but he has those guys covering just a situation like this is just off the top of my head, like a supercharged version of a Tyler Hero, like what he offered. Yeah, yeah. and I, th- I think the other thing that you uh, you guys did touch on the thing that you know people get onto Levine about defensively, I think rightfully so, is that we look at say like CJ and Dame, we look at some of these other little guys, Trey Young for that matter, and we go all right. Like they're not, they're not, you know, killer defensive players. They might even be poor defensive players, but there's a limit to how good they could be defensively. Anyway, there is no limit to how good Zach Levine could be defensively, right? There really isn't. He has all, you could see him in that body be the best defender in the NBA. You could never see a guy in Trey Young's body be even in elite <laughs> level defense. I mean, it's just not happening um, in this day and age. But so that's the that's the thing, right? You get because of you you would be capable if right is always hurt you worse. Yeah, the curse of expectations, I guess. Yep. And um, and you're right. Levine has all the he's he's everything. He's got some size. He's got incredible athleticism. Um, you know, it just it just it hasn't it hasn't worked. You're, but you're right. There are tools there for him to work with. And I, I, the thing is, I think he cares. Like, I don't think he's one of these guys who's like, I don't care about defense. I'm not going to try on defense. I think he actually cares and tries and means well. It just has never worked. The inverse team is sort of the the Utah Jazz. You mentioned them in passing earlier, Zach. You're like, they're a team where everybody on that roster knows where to be. They, it's all between the ears there. They, ha- they have the effort level, the desire. That's like what is really the bedrock of their success. It's just how connected that entire team is on both ends of the floor. Sometimes like I watch them, I had a line in my, you know, the void video this week about them. Like, it feels like they're telepathic, like the way in which they rotate on defense, the way in which they swing the ball around the court. That team is just full of those high IQ players. It's like, I, I would love Levine in that Miami situation. Like you said, but I can't see him in a Utah and, yeah, let's and, talk know. about that Utah team, Zach. Why why do you think they have you know, they threw it together last year and you know I love Conley and it just never took. They were they're very good in the bubble, but then they were without Bogdanovich by that point, right? This year, why do you think it has all worked in a way that it didn't take last year? Uh continuity has to have something to do with it, right? Like th- like they had so many guys in and out of the lineup last year and Conley Conley had a you know this first team he's been on other than Memphis had clearly kind of an adjustment period this year everyone has more or less been there and they have I think they found a rotation pretty quickly that worked for them there was no confusion about who's going to start is Ingles going to start this do they have their rotation everyone knows their roles Conley and Gobert generally go in and out together Ingles and Favors come in and out together like Jordan Clarkson knows his role and plays it well it's just everyone is sort of comfortable with what their job is and how they play and that can that that's as Kevin said you know veteran guys who are really smart players second year together everyone kind of knows what they're supposed to do and everyone's you know, and they're a young guy. Like, Donovan Mitchell's still young. He's going to keep getting better. Um, Gobert's right in his prime. He's been outstanding this year. And and Conley, before this recent injury, was 
basically Memphis era Mike Conley, but with mm-hmm. even more three point shooting. So if you, if you get Mike Conley, who's an all star, versus Mike Conley, who's just man, that makes a big difference. Arnovich really rode for Conley. On <laughs> he your loves pod. He did. I, he did. I, well, you know, I do too. But one of the discussions you guys had, and you even mentioned it about doing a pod with him, and the whole sentimental thing. And you know, I love this guy. Um, and I've known him for over a decade. And one of the things that you guys said in the pod is, uh, I just want to confirm to you, bro, it does matter to him a lot. Like that, to make, it to is make not, all-stars specifically. It is, yes, mm-hmm. it is not a, I'll be okay. You know, if I don't, you know, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. It, it matters. It matters to him to be an NBA all-star and to get that credit one day because Randolph made it and and Gasol made it and you know nobody else was ever expected to make it right like nobody else like Tayshawn Prince wasn't making it and and, and uh, Tony Allen wasn't gonna make it but like Conley was the one of those guys that he didn't he you know Mark got and and Mark got a defensive player of the year and Zebo got an All NBA and like so he played that whole time and just you know he's not on national TV and he never got the credit and. You know, it's now later down the road, and I he it matters, man. Like it would mean more to him than it would anybody else. I really believe that. Well, it's been tough being a guard in the West yep. for the last fifteen, well, forever, basically. But there were many. There were at least a couple of times, and at least once, maybe twice, in my All Star picks column, where I basically wrote. Why don't we just make Mike Conley an honorary Eastern Conference All-Star? Because he he, he would make the East roster pretty yep. clearly, and he's not yeah. making the West roster. And like, what's really the harm? It's the freaking All-Star game. Just put him in the All-Star game. In the in the East, in the East, Mike Conley is probably a three to four time All-Star by now. Right? Hey, I'll I mean, give you a good example. When when they were both very young, the Grizzlies made a choice between him and Kyle Lowry. There you go. Kyle's what seven, six, seven. A lot. Six or, seven, yeah. six or seven all-star And it teams. really matters. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not to disparage Chris Bosh at all because Chris Bosh is amazing. Chris Bosh, I think, is like an 11-time all-star or something. It's some crazy <laughs> number where you're like, if he's in the West with all the power forwards there, he's probably a six-time all-star and like a Hall of Famer either way. But when you hear 11-time all-star, you start you start like, whoa, that's like, that's like Dwayne Wade territory up, <laughs> up there. You know what I mean? And it's just not... Chris Webber, I think Chris Webber is maybe like a three-time all-star. Manu Ginobili is a, a two-time all-star. Like in the it's West, wild. it's just, it's a different, it's a different ball game. Now, now the East it is too. I mean, it's like we talked about earlier. The league is loaded with talent. And with Conley, I mean, I'm not so sure he's going to get one of those spots from coaches. We'll see what happens. But it, it, it's so cool to see him have that level of chemistry he has right now with Gobert after last year when, you know, we talked about this a bunch, Chris, you said he never has thrown a lob to somebody like Rudy Gobert. It was an adjustment for him, living in a new city, playing a new system, playing with a guy like Gobert. But now the way those guys click, it, it feels like they've been playing together for quite some time now. And the fact, like you said, Zach, they play nearly all their minutes together, like 85, 90% of their time on the court together is spent on, on the court at the same time. I'm blown away, and that's been the big differentiator. When I look at this team compared to last year's team, it is it is a number of things. You get Jordan Clarkson, you know, another year in the system. He's been dynamic for them. But Mike Conley being Mike Conley again, that is the, the number one factor, the number one difference between this year's squad and last year's. And that's what could make a big difference for them in the postseason as well, having that other ball handling presence, a creator um, to help out Mitchell, help out Clarkson. 
This Jazz team's a threat, man. I'm, I, I still am not all the way there with them as a true finals contender over some of the you know Lakers, Clippers of the world, Clippers of the world. But they're close. How weird are they're the close. Lakers this season? Just like what <laughs> three straight overtime games against Detroit and then Oklahoma City twice. And AD I missed two of those games, I think. So it's like, what, what am I to make of them? Coasting. They're cruising, I think. Coasting. I saw, I saw them, I saw them in person uh, twice here in Memphis, and it got to the fourth quarter and. I mean, they just decide to turn it on and you just got to pray you catch them, right? You got to pray you catch them when, and they, they, they just miss some shots and they don't, you know, lock down defensively in the same way they try. I swear to God, I watch these games and I, I feel like they try for five minutes and win the game. Like I thought that that Oklahoma city game, the one that went over that they tried for five minutes in that game, like really like focused, you're not scoring and we're going to have good possessions. And which is interesting because the downside is like LeBron is playing a ton of minutes like in these, like in these overtime games, he's playing every game. And this is going to be the bedrock of his MVP candidacy. I think is they're the best team or one of the best teams. Uh, the plus minus numbers are what they are. His numbers are crazy good. And he's playing every game and playing a ton of minutes. But by the advanced numbers, he's not the MVP. And it's, it like, it's clearly Jokic or Embiid, like top the charts in almost every advanced statistic. But LeBron is LeBron. And like, he's, we, we all kind of know, like, he's the best player. <laughs> he's the best player. And, and their team is really good. That is the difference, though, between like, you know, the Curry unbelievable years or like the, even Giannis last year when they won, you know, 60 something games. It's like they don't have to play four quarters. Like he does. <laughs> he does. And he's in year what, 18? <laughs> when I see when I see his minutes per when I check a box score of a Lakers game I haven't watched and the minutes start with a four for LeBron I I like a little part of me winces like ooh I know that they're probably <laughs> not like like thirty five of those are not super high intensity minutes but they're still they're still minutes like it's a lot of minutes. Well, let's talk about Embiid. Are you a full buyer in this is Joel Embiid? Doc Rivers has unlocked something that had previously been unlocked. I don't know if it's Doc. I mean, part of it's probably Doc. Part of it was I, I know not making all NBA last year really pissed him off uh, and lit a fire under him. But I have said, I think I've said it on my podcast multiple times. I've definitely said it to other GMs around the league in, in debates. Like, I really have, have believed that a fully healthy and engaged Joel Embiid can be the best player in the NBA. Now, obviously, we all know who the best player in the NBA is, and he'll probably be the best player maybe until he retires, and that's LeBron. But I've been an Embiid. Now, the question was just, will we ever see a fully healthy, engaged, in shape Joel Embiid? But I've been a believer because he's so dominant defensively. He's so dominant that all he has to do is, like, be good offensively, and he's, like, a top-five player. And this year... I mean, his off, he's making these face-up 18-footers like he's Dirk or something. I mean, it's its crazy how good he's been. So I, I've been a Joel Embiid believer. I do i do think he his ceiling his ceiling is best player in the NBA. I don't know if he's been the best player this year, but I, th- I do think he can be at some point in his career. But Kev, he's been way more consistent, right? Yeah, Zach, you mentioned the the jumper off the dribble. That's what's what's been consistent, Chris. It's like that's the differentiator and I think what he unlocked this past year. He's always been someone who's more, you know, back to the basket when it comes to post-ups, but ability to face up and take those pull-up mid-range jumpers occasionally to he had the three against the Celtics a couple of weeks back. Um 
that is the differentiator between those, you know, good players and great players or great players and amazing players. And with Embiid, I really think it's, he's just unlocked that in himself. And you could say it's a small sample, you know, maybe his numbers fall off to levels they were last season. I believe he shot 33% on dribble jumpers last year. It's like 48, 50% now, but he's gotten better every year of his career in subtle ways and sometimes in notable ways. And with this, I just look at this as another piece of evidence that this is somebody who, when he invests time into something, into a skill, he will get better at it. We saw it at Kansas over the course of that full full freshman season. We've seen it every year in the NBA. So I I think there's no reason to doubt that this progress is for real and that this this is the new Joel Embiid. It's really just a matter of, like you said, Zach, the conditioning aspect and staying in shape throughout the full duration of the season deep into the playoffs. That'll be the challenge. But skills wise, like uh, this is the real Joel Embiid. Well, it's and it's huge for their crunch time offense, right? Because I, I had Joel on my podcast before last season and he talked about working on his face up game yes. specifically to solve the dilemma that's built into their team of who is getting the ball in the last two minutes of a close game because it can't really be Ben Simmons unless it's in the unless it's in transition. And by the way, in crunch time against Portland last night, they got out and ran and got some good looks out of it. And Joel told me, well, that's why I have to have a face-up game because back to the basket, they're going to swarm me. It's really hard to read help defense. And last night against Portland, they came out of a timeout, I think, with like 90 seconds left. And they ran a play that was for Seth Curry because they have to run stuff for Seth Curry and Tobias Harris in half-court possessions in crunch time. And he took a screen from Joel went to his right and kicked it back to Joel at like 20 feet away from the rim. And Joel took that possession and then owned it from there, like pump fake, two dribbles, jumper. And like, boy, if he can do that in crunch time, that's a game changer for them. If they can work through him and not have it be a back to the basket post up that the other team can see coming a mile away, it's a game changer. How about that game he had against Miami weeks back too? just dribble jumper after dribble jumper. That kind of showed exactly what what he talked to you about. Just nasty. Last question, Zach. All right. Uh, this has been the craziest year. Um, and the finances of the league are something that has been a subject like they have not been before. And I'm wondering if you think those and the situation that the league is in will impact the trade deadline this year. Do you think this ends up becoming more active, less active than a typical trade deadline and teams altering uh, their teams for the stretch run? Or do you think that this just kind of goes on like any other year would? I don't know if the finances will will impact it much, what you're talking about. Um, I would guess less active, but not really because of some reluctance to take on long-term money, although that pro- that always exists to some degree. Maybe it exists more now. But, you know, A, we've already had the biggest trade. It happened. And B, the play-in tournament, there are so many teams that are going to talk themselves into you know, particularly teams who who are, have not been in the playoffs in years and years. Like I don't, you know, we might see a couple of teams like Minnesota's too far out. Oklahoma City, if they tailspin, they'll give up. Cleveland, if they tailspin, they'll give up. But you know, the Knicks, the Hawks, the Hornets, the Kings, the Grizz, the Pelicans, teams that have had droughts. That they're just gonna, if we're twelfth, but we're two games out. We're of 10th, we're going to, I don't think we're selling off our guys. And I'm, some some team will pivot because it's a smart thing to do and they can get good value and they just won't care about being 10th. But I don't I don't see a big frothy trade market. There, there'll be some stuff because there always is, but I don't, I don't see, for, just because of, I don't know how many sellers there are going to be. And no huge names? The huge name already moved? 
the huge name already moved. Obviously, the attention is going to be on Brad Beal, but um, the 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 noise coming out of there. Kevin's written about it. Mark Bartlestein, his agent, went on the record a couple of days ago with Yahoo, I think, saying, you know, right now it's sort of status quo. Like, mm. you know, he wants to win in Washington, and that could always change. Even Mark in the in those comments were like, this none of this is absolute, you know. Um, but I, I I could see that one extending into the offseason and next season rather than now. Zach, it is our real honor for Stop. you to join us today. And, and I also need to say this. Um, I, I think I probably mentioned this somewhere in passing as years go on, but I only know Bill Simmons because of my buddy Zach Lowe. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, they were in town the 2013, I guess, West Finals. Yeah. He was doing ABC. And through my friend Zach Lowe, I met Bill Simmons. <laughs> and thus, as time moved on, the connection was made, and I end up, you know, doing this stuff with the ringer. It is. In some way, you never know. You never well, know. You, what you really owe it all to is Marcus Hull and Mike Conley I really and Zach do. Randolph because none yeah. of us are in Memphis if those, teams, if those guys don't make the conference <laughs> yeah. finals and get swept. But still, you know, they made the conference yeah. finals. They got swept, but they, they were there, right? And, and the whole world was in Memphis at least for a minute. <laughs> Right. I miss Memphis, man. I haven't been there in a while. I miss the, the the ducks and the Peabody. I miss the whole the whole the whole thing. The Westin Memphis, man. I've spent a lot of time in that Westin downtown <laughs> Memphis, right by the arena. That's right. And you mentioned John Morant in your column. Today, I love so. John Morant. I am a John Morant true believer. Just because just because like I, I think actually just, I think he's got more distance to cover on defense than people think. Like I think he's a pretty bad defensive player, as most young guards are, and his three point shot is if they ever make the playoffs, teams are gonna teams are gonna treat him. I mean, not quite like Ben Simmons, but they're gonna dare him. We saw it in the bubble. Yeah. I think he's got more progress to make in two big areas than people think. But I just love the way he plays because he has such a combination of athleticism and just guts wow. that he could play like if he wanted to, he could play kind of like like what we would call bad Russ, just like every shot, every drive, everything belongs to me. I'm playing in hyperdrive all the time. And he doesn't play like that. He plays like that sometimes, but then he'll slow down. He'll manipulate the defense. He actively seeks out looks for his teammates. He gets off the ball. He's a good off-ball player. He's a good cutter. Like He just never uh, – I a lot of guys would would just blow up the way he did. It, and he blew up because he's that damn good and and then get caught up with this is my team like Memphis oh, is no, my team he, no, there's he, there there's gonna be a whose team is it thing between me and Jaron Jackson jr and there no. is just zero of that with John well, and he he'll have a lot of eyeballs on him tonight because they play against the Lakers and I will tell you that they they played the other night uh and in the game against Charlotte after the game, he was he was that guy that went they, and they won by 16. He was on the court for like 30 minutes to an hour after the game shooting threes. Like he's that guy. He's that guy. You know what he's I mean? Do, but I, I'm a I'm a I believe that they have someone special in him. And I think Jaron Jackson Jr. is really good too. Like we haven't seen him at all. He's always kind of like out of sight, out of mind. But you throw him on that team and and the trickle down effect of what it does to their rotation. Like, but I, I'm I'm a jog. I'm a big jog guy. Uh, Kevin, it is always a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely, Chris. Thank you so much, Zach. My pleasure, guys. I'm a, I'm a listener. You guys are uh, are are 
a regular Peloton uh, accompaniment for <laughs> okay. me. I and, didn't know you were a Peloton, Peloton. guy. Wow. We actually, actually have a, it's not a Peloton. It's it's like a step down from a Peloton. It's a smart bike, but it's like one step down from a Peloton because <laughs> I'm, I'm cheap. Bootleg Peloton. <laughs> bootleg Peloton. But yes, no, you guys, you guys will be, I'm trying not to get, it's a challenge of the pandemic. Don't get fat. Like there are lots of, there, there are lots of days where I just don't leave my house. Like it's I, like, I got to do something. I have to move my feet. It's the worst. And then you got to see your face on TV. And I can't run. I hate running. I, I have oh, to give I it up running on running. Too. It hurts. I'm like, it hurts my joints. It hurts my knees. It's cold outside. It's like, cold. I need, I, it's like, I'm just not going to do it. I just like, I'm out of running. I'm out. So Zach do something. Lowe, that, that is the most revealing thing. And it happens at the very end. <laughs> Zach Lowe has a bootleg Peloton. Bootleg Peloton. That's right. All right, guys. It's always a pleasure. I'll see you soon. Hopefully. Thanks, Thank Zach. you, Zach. Uh, thanks to Kevin O'Connor, as always. Thanks to producer Sasha. And we will talk to you next week.